Hello listeners and welcome to another Around the World in 80 Drinks podcast from us the Thinking Drinkers, me Tom Sandham and fellow Thinking Drinker Ben McFarland. Uh, thanks for choosing to listen to us, we really appreciate it. If you're new to us, uh, then our pod, we, we use it to take you around the world to the best places for beers, wines, spirits, places we've visited ourselves as 20 years of drink writers and we recommend interesting and exceptional drinks and taste them. So if you listen during the pod, uh, towards the end we'll tell you what we're having in the next podcast, you can drink along with us uh, but this week slight change of plan uh, because it's world gin day on june the 13th so this is a gin special uh, in which we're going to tell you all about loads of gins that we've been enjoying recently some of the new gins that have come out um, and also we'll cover some of its fascinating past its brilliant history um, so i should say a uh, happy world gin day ben happy world gin day tom can you, you imagine there is such a thing well, I have to say, it, 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 while we are a bit down on some of these world days, um, and there are a lot in the drinks world, uh, including uh, uh, a pina colada day and an amaretto day. Um, <laughs> the amaretto like, day is really... It's, it's a bit of a weak one, isn't it? it? Um, but well, gin day is a pretty good one, isn't it? I think it's pretty worthy, I have to say. Well, definitely. I mean... Uh, if you said 20 years ago that, that there was going to be a world gin day, I'd be very surprised. But now... We are in the middle of what they call a genaissance. It doesn't even really work as a pun, but still, um, people use it. Sounds um, curious. And uh, there's just so much. There's so much out there now, um, and it's never been a better time to be a gin drinker, I suppose. That's it. Um, we've got a new neighbours have moved into us um, uh, this week, actually. And I did, nice, nice I did, people. Yeah, they seem very nice, actually. Um, You're going to say that, aren't they? Because they might listen to this. I doubt it, mate. <laughs> Don't worry. Give them a chance, and I'll be flogging my words. But I was going to, um, I was going to give them a bottle of gin actually, because I thought, well, that'd be. I didn't really know what the etiquette was. Our, our neighbour down the road, Duncan, uh, who listens to the podcast, hello, Duncan, Duncan disorderly. Uh, yeah, yeah, very good. Uh, he's actually a super fan on our Facebook page, so we should really give Duncan a shout out. But he was saying he was reminding us that wine is the appropriate thing to give new neighbours. So. Um, it's a bit tricky because I didn't know if they were drinkers or not. So I don't know where, where, what the etiquette is. Well, I imagine you've got shitloads of gin in your shed well, and not much it. wine. It would have been easier, definitely, <laughs> and less painful to give them a bottle of gin. Um, but I bought them I bought them a Rioja. I actually paid money for it and bought them a Rioja uh, just because I thought, a safe, play it safe. And if yeah. they don't like it, um, then they can re-gift it, um, unlike... The Blossom Hill Rosé, which we've got a <laughs> wine rack that someone gave us, and you just you just cannot re-gift that shit. No, what, what you can do with something like Blossom Hill is you go to a party, this is obviously before lockdown, and go in, and instead of presenting it to the the host, just say you're going to just pop into the kitchen, open the fridge, put it in, and then take something better out. <laughs> that. And then no one knows who's brought the Blossom Hill, but you have brought a bottle. Yeah. That's good. I like that. We'll put it into an unlabeled bottle and say it's something really <laughs> unusual and mystical that you've got sent from faraway lands. Um, so, yeah, that's that's what's been going on with me. Anything interesting happening in your life at the moment? We're still in- uh, talking about sheds, I rearranged the shed yesterday, um, <laughs> which was immensely satisfying. Um, and I can now get uh, all the bikes in because before every time I brought the bikes out, they'd get tangled up, pedals would get caught in the spokes, and it was just one of those things that made your life so, so miserable on a daily basis. And so I just threw everything out into the garden 
and then packed it back in again in a neat way. It involves some uh, shelves being put up and uh, such a uh, mess. Yeah, and I put yeah. all the uh, all my all my nuts and bolts into a container. <laughs> wow! Um, yeah. You should have filmed it for uh, YouTube. I so. did. I did because my wife, she messaged, she uh, WhatsApped it, uh, the photo of the garden, which looked like a junkyard from some, you know, uh, I just, I just looked a complete mess with everything out on it. And she just was pulling her hair out. She, so she sent the family WhatsApp a picture of it. And then I filmed, then I provided a film of, of a tour of the shed. Uh, which I can put up on our Facebook if people are interested. I'm sure they are. I noticed that the old uh, tiki bar came out of the shed or came from somewhere, and you were trying. Yeah, does anyone want l- uh, listeners? Uh, not, apparently, you're not supposed to call them listeners on pod. Uh, my wife oh, really? did. Okay. Pod podsters, pod okay. followers, pod people, pod pods, um, pod bods, pod, maybe pod uncles. Does any pod bod want to buy a? Um, uh, a, a, a bamboo Hawaiian beach bar with roof mm. um, because they, they sell for about £400. Uh, we're selling it for 250 And much like John Lennon's white piano, it's going to be worth We used them in a show. We used the bar yeah. in a show. So it will be worth millions. Yeah, we did it with the um, monkey puppets. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Let's yeah. talk about that scene. <laughs> Wasn't one of our, our greatest, um, but anyway, it's World Gin Day, so let's talk about some gin. Um, and as we we're saying, unlike other sort of some of your more pony, less important days, this is a good one. It's on June thirteenth. Uh, if you're listening before or after the event, every year, um, and you'll see loads of activity. If you follow hashtag World Gin Day, you'll notice that this probably is a it's a big deal on social media. You can head to worldginday.com. Uh, to see what's going on in advance or uh, see all the different activities. And because we're in lockdown for this World Gin Day, I imagine there's going to be a lot of online activity with people talking about gin and you can learn plenty about it. Um, But you can also listen to our podcast because we're going to talk about it now. Um, And I suppose we should start with the history of gin, Ben. Um, Yeah. Because uh, it's it's epic. It's massive. uh, There's a lot to say. There's, There's lots of history. And the first thing when we talk about gin is we talk about the botanicals. Gin is a, a spirit that's flavoured with different botanicals. And the key botanicals in gin are licorice, uh, which they use for sweetness. You've got citrus peels in there, coriander, angelica. But the most important botanical is juniper. So gin's story starts with juniper. And evidence of using juniper in drinks, particularly in medicine, can be traced all the way back to ancient Greece, where they used it Ben, I'm not sure we've ever discussed this, but they used it to cure tapeworm. Did you know that? I didn't know that. No. Is tape- that the one where they you, you can roll it? Do you remember Lenny Henry did it in um, mm. in uh, Comic Relief where he got that pencil and he took a little worm out of a little boy's leg? Do you remember that? I do. That's Yeah. Is that tapeworm? Uh, no, tapeworm's in your gut, really. It's the one that comes oh. out. You get, you get the little worms in your bum. I don't know if that's the same thing in, in the... the um, less amusing African scenario you've just described. Um, but no. But I, but I, I, there's lots of sort of worms that people can get, and I thought that was that. But Okay. Well, I've, I mean. I appreciate I've, it wasn't the best. Uh, you set you up for a bit of a fool I, I mean, don't tell me what you're going to be talking about, but you never mentioned worms. 
<laughs> and I, I've just exhausted my worm material. Sorry, mate. Uh, well, let's wriggle out of that then, and uh, and uh, talk about the fact that it was used for all sorts of other. Uh, medicinal reasons and in Native American cultures when they went and found uh, indigenous people in America they were using it as an aphrodisiac but the Europeans who discovered these new uh, Native American cultures had been using it um, to cure insomnia so I always thought that was quite an, a bit of a culture clash and my, yeah, they didn't gel that's a bad combo <laughs> but it was used for stamina typhoid, cholera, dysentery so it's had all these medicinal properties which might be why um, it's, it emerges in, in use against the plague bed. Yes. Um, well, this is quite, this is, we've used this uh, in our show. Um, I think this is one of our best did you know facts. Well, you, the, the pod pods can be the judge of that. Um, in the, During the plague, uh, no one knew what, what the hell was going on, much like our current situation. And the people would, instead of drinking bleach or, or taking pills that, Definitely don't work. Um, people really thought that that if they burnt uh, juniper, that the aroma coming off the juniper would 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 keep them safe. And so, what people would do is they put these uh, massive sort of beak-like masks on, and within the masks, they they sprinkle some juniper, and that would uh, and then they burn that and. Um, they looked like uh, looked like ducks, obviously, because they had these big, big beaks on. Um, and obviously, the juniper—the idea that juniper cured the plague or prevented you from getting it—was complete and utter bullshit. Um, <laughs> uh, and people, when people started dying, even though they were wearing these juniper masks, um, uh, they realised this. And so, because these these sort of amateur doctors looked like looked like ducks, they coined that coined them quacks which is where we get the phrase quack for a a so-called doctor there you so go. that is all to do with juniper and do you know something was really strange when we were doing a, the clap for the nurse the nhs and the nurses not just nurses doctors <laughs> as well all of them uh everyone all the key workers um the people opposite to the right of my house they all came out wearing these plague masks really yeah, and um, I mean, why did they have them? We've got them, but we do a show where we put them on. Well, we bought one um, from from Amazon, and it turned up, and it looked like some sort of leather gimp mask. Yeah, didn't it? no, it did. The looking things. So, not to to talk about your no, name. I wonder. They don't have any. Um, what's that? What's the uh, um, what's the grass that uh, you have if you're swingers? <laughs> What's it called again? If I answered that question, yeah, but... I know, I know. I'm not saying you are. I genuinely can't. Uh, oh, damn. Anyway, there's a certain grass that apparently swingers have, have, have outside really? the house, and they Quite. don't have it. They Quite don't clear. have it. Um, um, but I thought that was a bit weird, and the boys were asking about what they were doing, and yeah, I, I couldn't really explain. But anyway, juniper is was the reason we call doctors quacks. So there, there you, you go. And it's also the most important thing in gin. And um, I was curing, uh, as, as people became less convinced about some of the wider medicinal properties, they still kept putting it in their drinks um, uh, to, for after dinner to cure sort of indigestion, windy pops, things like that. Um, but it was the Dutch who were the first really to put a commercial sort of business around gin. Uh, they started uh, distilling using 
the the juniper they were getting from the French. So they called their new spirit with juniper uh, Geneva or Haneva, which is uh, the French for, for juniper. And that was in the 1500s. And they, they started taking it out on their boats and serving it up to people. It started to get a bit more international acclaim. And they served it up to the British. Another another fact from our show that we, we drop is that um, during the Thirty Years' War, before they were fighting, they would serve up a shot of this juniper spirit um, to the troops. And they believed it would embolden the troops before they went into battle and this, they were fighting the Spanish. So that is where we get the term Dutch courage. Really? Well, I, I knew that. But that is interesting. Yeah. Um, so, so the Dutch were really, really loving this stuff. And then, when the Dutchman William of Orange took the English throne, he introduced juniper spirit to to the British people. And um, and when farmers were complaining about a glut of grain, he passed new legislation. He allowed all the farmers to distill, and in fact, he, he allowed the, the whole of the British public to distill more freely. And suddenly, uh, in, in the early seventeen hundreds. We went from a very big beer drinking nation to a gin drinking nation, and everyone went absolutely nuts for this juniper spirit and on honouring their king. They all decided to have a crack at, at making it, which was which was great for gin initially, and for, but unfortunately, as we came into the seventeen hundreds, we get into what most people will know as the sort of darkest days of gin, and um, William didn't really see uh, the gin craze coming. And um, he actually the got, fell off, didn't they? Yeah, they and did. I mean, spectacular fashion. <laughs> he really didn't understand our British appetite for drinking, no. um, binging, and crikey! I mean, well, he didn't see it because he he um, he died before it all happened. He apparently uh, died when his horse tripped over a molehill. Oh, <laughs> I mean, what are the chances of that? So he didn't. Yeah, even I hate it when that happens. <laughs> <laughs> The wheels didn't fall off, but he did fall off. <laughs> and um, and so gin was the ruin of London. So when we get into the 1720s, I reckon every man, woman, and indeed child in London was drinking a pint of gin a week. Um, so it was being made badly with everything from, from urine to sulfuric acid to bulk it out. So it was really, well, this was not a good time. It was crazy batshit moonshine stuff, wasn't it? They were making them bathtubs and stuff, weren't they? Yes, and how did they try to solve all this problem, Ben? What did they do to well, uh, they, bring um, people back to their senses? Oh, they did a painting. <laughs> they did do a painting. Did they do a drawing with a <laughs> with a pencil? But uh, um, Hogarth, yes, did, didn't he? Yeah. Well, funny enough, you should mention that, Tom, because yesterday while I was clearing out the shed, I came across a lot of the pictures we used to use in our previous shows. And one of them was Gin Lane. So I've not only got a picture of Gin Lane, I've got a massive poster. Um, obviously it's a visual thing, but can you hear that? That's the that, one. that is so um, annoying, that one. It wouldn't fit in our, in our well, shitty. What's quite good is the uh, elements have got to it and it's made it look like a really oldie piece of... Uh, mold? <laughs> mold, yeah. It's basically mold, but it's giving it something uh, extra. Um, and... We, what I know this is a a, a, a listening uh, program rather than a visual one, but I'm still going to talk people through Gin Lane um, as a, as a picture because you can look at it online while you're listening. Um, it was uh, drawn by William Hogarth, and basically the, at the centre of it is uh, Mother's Ruin. There's a woman in the centre of it. Uh, she's you can see her boobs. Uh, she's in a terrible way. Um, she's sort of looking very, very drunk, sat on some steps, 
and she's dropped her child down into a stairwell. You see this child like falling, looking really shocked. Um, now, one thing you notice about William Hogarth from this picture is that he was shit at drawing babies. The baby is massive, mm-hmm. totally out of proportion from the rest of the um, rest of the picture. I mean, if you is it's I'm not, I don't know much about art, but his babies are too big. What else is going on? Uh, there's a man fighting over a bone with a dog because he's had too much gin. He hasn't he spent all his money on gin and he's hungry. Uh, there's a woman being lowered into uh, a coffin in the background. She's also burying her breasts. Um, uh, sorry? Racy. I mean, it's... I yeah, mean, no, no, it's racy. I, well, I mean, not in a good way. Um, uh, so, yeah, but she's been put in a coffin because she's had too much gin and there's uh, a sort of a man giving her last rites. Uh, there's a man top right-hand corner. Someone's hung himself. That's because he's drunk too much gin. The uh, buildings are all falling apart, like they're battling, falling down, uh, because back then builders didn't have builders' tea and splush. They drank gin, so everything's shoddy workmanship. Uh, there's some people uh, fighting each other. They've had too much gin. There's someone in a cart. Uh, uh, they're, uh, they're drinking gin, funnily enough. Uh, that's where you get the phrase, get completely carted. And then... Uh, also, at the centre point, my favourite guy, there's, one, there's this one guy who's got a moustache who looks like a sort of hipster from uh, from Hoxton. He's got sort of one of those uh, rather dainty moustaches. And in, in his left hand, he's got some bellows. Don't know what that's about. But in his right hand, he's holding uh, a big spear and he's um, uh, he speared a baby. So... Uh, that's probably and that's probably got something to do with him having too much gin as well. So overall, Tom, this is not an advert for for gin. It, it was um, it totally pulled the rug from under British society, and uh, I think that I think that what was what Hogarth was trying to say. Although you you think different. Well, uh, yeah, he, he's an interesting character, Hogarth, because he grew up in a very uh, anti-alcohol presbyterian environment he did really didn't drink and um so for a long time it was held that he he was very anti-gin but uh he was a bit more of a satirist than all of that and we uh we did actually research it for our book thinking drinkers book which you can buy from all good bookshops and amazon um and uh and it, it turned out that he was trying to make a wider comment about the fact that the government had just let the poor people down really and that they turned to gin and as is so often the case ben alcohol yes it was there and it's what they turned to and uh, they they abused it in a situation of extreme misery but that the gin wasn't the cause for all this which is what hogarth was saying it was the government's um complete lack of care for the people and they just ended up drinking gin so there's quite a, a few parallels one could draw here aren't there, between back then and now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just everyone getting, everyone, other other sections of society, other elements of society getting blamed for some seriously bad decisions being made at the top. Exactly. Bit of politics there for you, Tom? Thank you, mate. This isn't a politics no podcast and no. we are nowhere near qualified despite I don't my... Know. Despite my, um, well, I did a politics degree at Wolverhampton University. So, <laughs> yes, so you, you're not qualified. I'm not qualified. Two uh, two as well. <laughs> I scraped through it. Um, so let's let's go back to the well. The, the point of the, the point was that this was the the kind of the zenith, wasn't it? It was the 1750s. This was this was peak 
gin is bad. And um, the government did manage to rein it in a bit in new legislation. They they changed uh, the way people could buy it, uh, the, the cost of it. It all, it all, it all man- they managed to rein it all in. It wasn't until the late 1700s that um, there was some reform in terms of gin production and quality gin makers like uh, Alexander Gordon of Gordon's Gin or Charles Tanqueray um, and James Burroughs of, of Beef Eater fame. Uh, they started to make quality gin. And I think 1793, we talked about Plymouth was was opening its doors and and distilling for the first time. So as we went into that, the next century, gin was something that was a bit more revered. It was made properly. People weren't abusing it. We had the gin palace, of course, Ben, the um, emergence of the gin palaces, which were wonderful uh, places. Were, weren't they? Beautiful uh, pubs, essentially. But they, they, again, they changed the way people approached drinking culture so gin managed to sort of claw claw its way back a bit and um and by the 1860s 70s 80s and all the way up to 1930s gin was right at the heart of all the great classic cocktails that emerged during what the bartenders called the golden age of the cocktail and uh, when we think about the great cocktails that emerged in that period that's still around today gin was one of the most important ingredients so it really it earned its stripes back and people were, were loving it again right into the to, to 20th century, really. And then in the 1940s and 50s, vodka came along and kind of usurped it, really, and gin lost its way. People were after something with less flavour uh, that was, wasn't going to leave a smell on their breath when they'd um, been drinking after work, came home to the family. So they turned to vodka. And, uh, and gin really didn't start to get back into people's repertoire until... Bombay Sapphire came along. Yeah, well, when I started first started writing about drink, even so, that was in the late nineties. I mean, gin really wasn't something people talked about. It really wasn't a, uh, a sort of spirit that was particularly popular, and it was very it was synonymous with a certain demographic, namely a sort of late middle aged woman, a sort of twin set and pearls type type character i mean it was you it wasn't it, there were male drinkers but it's quite golf clubby sort of jaguar that kind of thing and it also was saddled with this idea that it somehow made you more depressed than other spirits um which people still it's still a myth that pe- people pedal when we meet them after shows they, um and i think it's now this is my theory and not a particularly <laughs> woke one i don't think but um I think the fact that a lot of women of a certain age were drinking gin meant, and it was coinciding with a certain uh, hormonal change, meant that maybe it wasn't always the gin that was making them feel rather, rather uh, down in the dumps. And uh, it became, I think there was, I mean, met. I was just going to, you know, the met. If you're, if there's no spirit in the world that's going to get people out of that funk, so. Uh, I think it was it's saddled unfairly with that reputation. But like you say, it was it's been I think it's easy to forget that the current Genesance we're enjoying at the moment didn't happen well it didn't happen overnight. It's been more than sort of thirty years in the making, like you say, in in nineteen ninety eight I think Bombay Sapphire was was really started begin, started to fly. Um because it actually Bombay Sapphire goes back to the late nineteen eighties. Mm. Uh there was a a gin called um 
uh, well, there was a, back, even for, oh, I was back in the 1960s, there was a gin called Bombay Dry Gin. Um, and in the ni- 1980s, that was given a, a, a brand makeover by the guys behind Absolute Vodka. Um, and and just gave it that really sexy looking bottle. And it wasn't until sort of, nine, yeah, 1998 that Bombay really started going. It burst through the 1 million pound, the 1 million case barrier rather in 2000. And that in, in the drink spirits world is a big thing. Um, and it totally changed people's perceptions of what gin could be. It made it, it put it sort of firmly in the, in the sort of vodka territory at that time. It was all about the aesthetics of the bottle um, and the, 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 the kind of coolness. And Bombay Safra was the first gin to really embrace that. Um, and also, in terms of its its flavour and its characteristics, it was quite close to vodka, wasn't it, Tom? In so much well, as they infused a sort of um, vapour technique, didn't they? Yeah, and uh, people often ask us what our favourite gin is. It's interesting to hear how many people still love Bombay Sapphire. Um, and, it, and I think that was it's, it's a much more softer juniper profile to it. And when we talk about gin today, it's very important. There are a lot of people who say, don't uh, muck about with your gins. There's lots of newfangled gins coming out where they're dialing back that juniper profile. And as we said at the start, start of this history, juniper is so important. What Bombay did was present a gin that was, um, they, they had a lot of the other botanicals that were quite, quite, pronounced and the juniper wasn't too overt so as a result it was it was quite a nice gin to get people back into it but again i think you talk about that that era the second golden age of cocktails which we're in right now it was a lot of bartenders who were who went back to the old history books from the 1860s onward and saw all those gin recipes and that's why they started to explore gin a bit more in cocktail culture and why we suddenly saw this this swell of interest in in juniper spirits so, um, so we went from, like you say, the two thousand up to what we're we're dealing with now, which is an unstoppable wave of gins that keep getting delivered. We shouldn't really s- complain about getting free drinks, should we, Ben? But it is relentless the number of gins we seem to have um, being delivered to us at the moment. I know. It's, well, every single week there's a new gin being launched, it's, and it's, it's not been happening just recently. It's mm. just been going for the last two, three years, um, mm. and which is wonderful. But they're not all, not all of them. Like all the, like in the same way that craft brewing revolution, you know, should be celebrated. But also, there's there are people who jump on the bandwagon and are producing things that perhaps are not as authentic as they claim and as consistent as they they'd like them to be. No, I, I, with that in mind, we've picked up a, a few. Uh, for this podcast so if you're listening and you do want to know what to to turn to next um, we've tried to pick out some that are relatively new some that have been around a while but um that that you might not have heard of uh, that we think are, are, are worth exploring um and uh, the, the the first thing to say is everyone probably needs to have a decent london dry gin in their collection uh, london dry refers to um a style of gin it's a change that occurred somewhere in the late uh, late 1800s early 19th century when we had a change of distilling kit the kofi still or the column still which allowed the distiller to make a refined spirit and because of that up until then gin was sweet and badly made and it was disguised with sugars and um but this new style was a bit cleaner and drier so we had the london dry style so it doesn't if it, it can be made anywhere in the world it's not a geographic stipulation but it is um it is defined by the the production process so um and and crucially 
the predominant flavour must be that of juniper berries and no artificial ingredients, flavours or colours are added after distillation. So two of the top London Dry styles would be um, Tanqueray London Dry and Beef Eater London Dry, and people will have heard of those, and they might think if they're if they're ke- building a gin collection, they don't need them in their in their cabinet. But you should have them. They really are the the sort of the great gins historically and today. If Beef Eater was launched today, they could ask for thirty or forty quid for a bottle of Beef Eater. It's made by a guy called Desmond Payne, who's arguably one of the greatest distillers of all time. He's been distilling for fifty years. So if he launched that today, Ben, you, you'd say that's probably one of the great gins, wouldn't you? You'd, you'd want it in your... In well, your- this, is, this is the sort of secret um, of, of working in, in the industry is the fact that when I go around a supermarket and see all the gins, that are, there are hundreds, and I just look at everyone just gliding past the beef eaters and the tanquerays and all the classics, and going into some of these very good newfangled stuff, but more expensive, and you just realise that the Plymouth and all those classics—they're so wonderful. They're such good value, yeah. Given what goes into them and then expertise behind it. I mean, Desmond Payne—he reminds me of uh, some sort of character from sort of James Bond, the, the sort of the who kits. What's who's a guy in James Bond who kits kits him out all yeah. the yeah, he's like a queue of distilling. He sort of yeah. knows. He's he's really sort of quintessential English gentleman. He's brilliant. And yeah, God, he knows. He knows his botanicals. <laughs> he really does. So you need those. I think you need those in there. There's still bartenders you'll find all over the world who would make a martini using Plymouth or or Beef Eater or indeed Tanqueray just because they they still believe they are the they are the great gins. There are some modern London dries made in London. Um, you may have heard of Sipsmith. Pod cat pod pod pods. Let's pod, call them pod pods. I was I like Podkin Uncle, but um, let's go. <laughs> um, pod pods. Uh, so Sipsmith is is now a bit more ubiquitous. Great gin made very very lovingly according to the London dry style. Portobello gin uh, made by our, our good friend Jake Berger. Another great uh, faithful to the style. Um, we've recently got into some East London liquor company gin. And um, they've got a fantastic little craft distillery and bar in Hackney. So when the lockdown's over, go go and have a look. Uh, yeah, it's just near London Fields. You just yeah. it's literally a stone's throw. Yeah, and it's depending uh, where you are in London Fields. If the other side is is further than that, <laughs> who's nearer me or you? Depends <laughs> on where you are in the world. Um, <laughs> I thought we should just explain that very quickly. Uh, we had a delivery driver ring up the other day lovely guy and he was delivering some stuff to both tom and i and he asked what the addresses were and i told him and he went which which is closer and i said well it's a and then he set me up with a question that where the answer is impossible to say without sounding rude yeah i was like well it sort of depends where you are doesn't it, i suppose <laughs> and he went, oh yeah yeah you're right anyway so um, he was um, a lovely guy and uh he delivered everything brilliantly he did and he's doing doing a tricky job a lot of pressure at the moment fair play to him um but uh but yes yeah, so that's over in by victoria park and they make um a, a standard gin they do a couple of variations as well but there's their sort of house gin uh, it's made using lemon and grapefruit peels they've got uh cardamom coriander angelica root some of the 
key in, ingredients and obviously juniper berry but it's it only costs 20 quid that's one of the great things about the um the east london liquor gin is uh, and which i think in the, the current market is a flipping bargain because it's it's actually not it's, it doesn't i don't think it gets enough love i think it's a brilliant dry london dry style and um and when you're paying 20 quid for a bottle of gin in east london um which you'd probably pay for your um avocado on toast or yeah, yeah with whipped feta and your haircut that's not a haircut it's just a domination yeah um so i think that's really good value and interestingly it's, it's the distillery is a, it's a nice place it's an old glue, glue factory it, interestingly actually it's not near london fields like i said it's victoria park as you as you pointed out sorry Victoria park sorry Did I? I thought i said london fields okay sorry either way it's victoria park yeah but, it definitely is but yeah um so there's that there's ford's london uh, gin ford's gin try that as well another london's london dry style they're made at the thames distillery in london which is um is a, a place of extraordinary gin her- heritage it's run by uh charles maxwell who's a fifth generation i think it's fifth generation family distiller down there he contract distills a lot of the gins you will see actually on supermarket shelves he is a proper legend and simon ford uh, of the Ford's name, uh, has worked in the gin industry for decades. So they developed the recipe together, um, and they've got some Spanish lemon peel in there. Uh, they've got Turkish grapefruit peel. They've got Chinese jasmine, um, and I've got some of that. I'm just going to have a little sip of that, Ben, because that is 45% ABV. So Now, you're talking about uh, drinking gin um, in our shows, and We've done this while when we've gone out for drink. We've had gin neat and or on the very least on the rocks. Mm. Now, that may surprise some of the pod bods listening to this. Um, but why do you think that's a good thing to do? I think it's a good thing to do because, um, I purely my only argument really is that I would do it with a, a glass of whiskey or rum and not think anything of it. And so I I like to learn more about the gins and I don't like them adulterated with heavy doses of tonic water. Tonic water is quite a flavoursome mixer. So if you don't have a, a good slug of gin in there, it just overpowers it. And a lot of people say to us, I didn't really like, I don't really like gin and tonics. And you, you break it down and go, oh, you don't like tonic water. Um, it, it's, it's, it's something that can overpower it. Now, gin and tonic is one of the great drinks. I'm not dismissing it, but I just think, that it doesn't it doesn't matter if you have a, a boilermaker serve you have a beer and you have a spirit with it why not have a bit of gin and it, in when it's 45 percent abv a bit of ice in there as well will open it up a bit and you get all of those all that grapefruit and chinese jasmine which sounds like it could be nonsense is is really there and when you try it in that way you get to appreciate all of that um i think the alcohol volume on the fords is worth adding that it does work very well in gin and tonic because it's stronger and it works really well in Negroni. So when you get uh, a gin with a higher alcohol content, that's when it really starts to stand up. Um, but the, so those are, those are London dry gins anyway. They're all made in, in London, but you can get London dries made anywhere. You can At the moment, we're seeing a lot of um, great Scottish gins, aren't we, Ben? We've, um... Yeah, that seems... Well, I imagine that's related to the fact that there's a lot of distilleries in Scotland that obviously historically been making Scotch whiskey. Yeah, single malts, things like that, um, and they have the um, they have the the where they have the facilities and the experience to, to make gins gins as well. Yeah, um, one of them that's just come through this week is Eight Lands Gin, uh, which is 
I'm just finishing my Fords so I can pour myself some eight lands gin, which I think you've got as well. And we're going to use that, aren't we, in our um Yes, we're 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 staging the European Championships, the football championships. Mm. And um we'll be doing that online on videos. And uh eight lands is representing Scotland, because in our world Scotland qualified. Well done, Scots. Um <laughs> <laughs> absolutely steamed through the, the playoff, um, which I think was against Ireland, wasn't it? Anyway, they all go, all the home nations and Ireland go through because we um, we're in charge of this. It's our yeah. game. Um, now I've got the eight lands, and it looks it's a lovely looking bottle, um, and it, it's fantastic. What I mean, what what we found is that after the shows, and we're talking to people about gin, is that so many people are just collecting them. Mm. They're because there's so many out there, there's almost this, this 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 huge appetite for people just to to have a, a drinks cabinet dedicated to gin, which is just would have been unheard of 20 years ago. Um, and 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 what's great as well is that finally a lot of the gin brands have worked out a way of making the bottle look really quite sexy as well. I mean, Hendrix were quite influential in that, weren't they? They were the one of the after Bombay they came out and brought out quite a funky looking bottle, which again, just help change perceptions and draw in a, a cooler drinker. Yeah. Um, yeah. But there are so many, I mean, a lot of them, obviously, obviously getting to pink gin and stuff where people are starting to scratch their chins a little bit about. But uh, what I've just impressed is when you look at a, a, back, a, a shelf on a back bar with all the gins, it just looks, um, the bottle labels are, are f- phenomenal. And we've been to a lovely gin bar in Bristol and the one in Cheltenham. What was the one in Cheltenham called that we oh, went to? We should give them a shout out because we had a really nice evening in there. We sort of stumbled upon it after our uh, after our show, and um, and we yeah we did some disco dancing in there actually. We did do some disco dancing. Gin uh, and juice, it was called. Yeah, that's it. A fantastic little bar, and uh, they were serving their gin and tonics in those big um, copper uh, glassware, and I think that's okay in a bar because people know what they're doing and they'll, they'll get the measures right. That's one of the phenomenons that's come out of this gin, gin-a-sance that I'm, I'm less convinced by, because I think if it's served in a, in a pub where people are not quite so confident with the measures or the ice is really easily diluting, it can really spoil the experience. If you go and have the, the serve out in Spain where it's originated from, they put, like, they double down on the gin. So, so you those, s- those goblet, like... Yeah. Big bowls, like fish bowls, essentially. Yeah, um, and and I don't, I don't, I I try and talk uh, our uh, pod bods out of um, out of going down that road. Really, at least the first instance, do what we're doing right now, which is try it neat, so that you can uh, appreciate it. I mean, you talk about the the eight lands gin as an example, and and these are the sorts of things that gin producers are now being forced to do because there's so many, there's so much competition, but they're go massive on their uh, organic uh, credentials. Mm. Uh, they're, they're, they're up in the um, Glen Ryan's estate and they're using locally grown sorrel and cowberries in there, but they're really pushing their, their organic credentials. And I, I think they're, they're becoming much more aware of the environment they're, they're creating their gin in. And that's good for us because it means you get a fresh flavour of botanical in the final product. Um, and the story is just a bit more genuine. Uh, so you want to experience all of that in your gin. So try it neat first before you start putting other things in it so that you can at least uh, 
appreciate what all that all that effort and that, energy. I and suppose the next rev- step up. Yeah, the the next step up I imagine is to make a martini. That's another very good vehicle in which that showcases the the botanicals as well. Yes. Um, what else have we got going on? We've got Northern Ireland, the Northern Irish are getting into it. It's similarly in Ireland, North and South, uh, like you say about the whiskey industry, I think there's a, a crop of new craft whiskey distilleries set, setting up over in Ireland at the moment. And because of that, uh, they have to wait. They have to put that spirit down. So it's natural to make their, their gins and their vodkas. But in Northern Ireland, one standalone great gin is the Boatyard Double Gin. Um we're going to be having that in those videos as well. Uh, and they use champagne yeah, yeast in their, uh, their looking bottle as well. Mm. Um, that is... Oh, oh this is... That's... Drink less, drink better, Ben. <laughs> what is it's it, 46%? Thing. Yeah. Mm. Um, but that, let's taste that. That is spicy. That, that's not for neat. That's not for neat to be. No. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, they've they've doubled down on the juniper in that, and they've used a, an old Dutch technique, um, which I won't pronounce. But uh, it's a sort of double contact method with their their juniper, so you get a, a double double gin they call it, and um, that is that's fantastic. Uh, down in the south, we've got slingshot gin. Did you get sent a bottle of the sing, slingshot, Ben? That's from the I didn't. I did offer distillery. That's oh right. Oh, I yeah, I, yeah. I don't think you can. Uh, he, it's not available in the UK yet. I don't think, but you can get it in Ireland, right? Um, um, and it's just, it's just more proof. Should you need it, that this Genesense is showing no signs of letting up. And I think it's fantastic that we've now got a, a World Gin Day that we can celebrate this because it is. I mean, these are these. These are in the, a lot of them are independent distilleries. People really going out on a limb to to make these make these gins. It's a it's got parallels with the craft brewing scene as well. I mean, it's just so that guy in Wolverhampton we visited recently. He's making crazy. He's called Crazy Gin. He's making it from he's vacuum distilling it from Lassie, mm. um, and that's pretty nice gear as well. Yes. Um, so there's I mean it is there's some quite wild and wacky stuff, but that is a, that's a great gin. But um, I mean, it's it's just a great opportunity to broaden your gin horizons at the moment, and 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 just realise that even though some of these are expensive, uh, some of the gins out there, you've got to realise what goes into making these and the, the sourcing of the botanicals and the, the the distilling excellence. And I mean, once you break it down, it is an absolute bargain. The only reason it's so expensive is because this government charges so much flipping tax on on spirits. Um, that I don't want to get into politics again, but it's absolutely ridiculous the amount of tax that you pay for. For we've got to stop taxing our wonderful distillers and brewers. Um, um, talking tax, the Swedish they yeah. tax, don't they? The, try um, Helno H E R N O from Sweden. That's another yeah. brilliant uh, 
gin producer and they they muck about a bit with gins they do interesting flavors and and um side stories on their their standard gin which is okay because i think they've got a real appreciation for what gin is and um the the herno gin is is quite juniper forward we'd say but they've got lots of other things in there as well including vanilla so there's quite a quite a herbal floral gin herno they also do a juniper cask gin at herno so they've rested the gin in a cask and cask uh, maturation or resting or finishing is going to be something you see a bit more in the world of gin. Um, in Germany, they've got Monkey 47 with 47 botanicals in. Sometimes uh, you can have too many botanicals and it's just a bit of a novelty. But again, that's a, that's a good one if you want to try something with loads of botanicals because it still does actually have that juniper profile. And if you don't like juniper, the West Coast of America has been doing some interesting things since we were out there, Ben. Remember, we visited um, Gin Tuatine in San Francisco. And we'll taste that properly in a, in a separate pod, I think, because we had quite an interesting adventure in San Francisco while we were there. So plenty to talk about. And that's quite a juniper forward gin. But there are others on the West Coast that have emerged that have really dialed back the juniper. So aviation gin. If you think you don't like gin or juniper, then try aviation gin because that's um, perhaps a bit softer. Ryan um, Reynolds behind that, isn't he? He is the dreamy Ryan Reynolds. Um, oh, he's so uh, dishy. Hopefully, we can interview one day, just um, so we can hang out. And hold um, <laughs> him Navy strength gin. If you want to get into that, that's fifty-seven percent uh, on the the Plymouth Navy Navy strength gin is the one to go for. They were serving that to the the Navy for nearly two hundred years. Um, and it has a proper sort of woody sort of resin about it. It's like an actual wooden boat. Uh, it was it was made at fifty seven percent, so that if it, it got spilled onto the gunpowder, the gunpowder could still light. So, um, hence the term proof. Is that correct? Yeah, or? that's one of the, one of the uh, the theories theories behind proof. Um, uh, yeah, and then there's flavored gins. You talked a bit about pink gin, Ben. We've got to be careful here because we don't want to upset people, but I, it does feel like a bit like gin light. But we used um, four pillars. In oh, our yeah. Well, that's not – I mean, that that can that's sort of – it's a bit of an out, outlier in, in, in the pink gin category because they were using – it's it's actually looks like a slow gin. It's quite dark, ruby colour, and they blend – what they do is they take the original four pillars – rare dry gin and then they get Shiraz grapes from the Yarra Valley red Shiraz grapes and they steep them in eight weeks take the grapes out give them the right good pressing and then blend that sort of vinous spirit like uh, liquid back into the original rare dry gin to uh, and produce and it's called bloody Shiraz and that is fan fantastic mm. that is one i mean it is wonderful stuff and t- a totally different so i mean if you're into gin if you're a gin fan the the, the, the obviously the flavor profiles are is, is is totally different but but you still get the juniper in there but there's that uh, i mean i find slow gin sometimes a little bit too much but this is really smooth and it's um basically if you like red wine and you like gin you're not <laughs> laughing this is i mean no one's ever mixed it together well i you know not not delivered. They were teenagers, um, but it, no, it's it's really re- amazing stuff. Amazing yeah. stuff. 
So I'd go with that. If, you, if you're flirting with pink gins, try something a bit different with the with the four pillars. There are lots of flavoured gins coming out. Uh, I always say if, if the distiller cares about gin and you trust them, so someone like uh, Jared Brown at Sipsmith Gin, he's a he's a man who cares about the history of gin and the, and the, the authenticity of gin. So they've recently launched a chilli and lime gin, which we'd probably say do one if we saw some newfangled gin on the shelf. But because it's Sipsmith and it's Jared, you know, he knows his onions, he knows his knows his chili so he he knows how to make a flavored gin so sometimes they work um but start off with with some good solid london dries so that's gin ben i think we've given people plenty of uh, ideas there on what to drink plenty of historic context um and and we'll yeah, come back to it in future you. podcasts a bit of our appreciation yeah well <laughs> we really we really do know our stuff so that's gin um but next week we're going to be going back to beer aren't we you've got a beer for us next week well we're going to only taste one drink next week and i think we might go forward with that that uh um strategy because we've got so much to say about it um we are going to be drinking tint or time don't know how to say it tint meadow t-y-n-t Tint Meadow. It's it's you. Uh, it's, it's UK's only Trappist ale. So we're going to talk about uh, monks, monasteries, relationship between religion and beer. Um, and you can buy that from Beerwolf, B E E R W U L F dot com, um, and you can buy it there for about three pound fifty. So get hold of that, and we'll talk about that next week. Okay, brilliant. Well, that's uh, this week's podcast. Then hope you've enjoyed. Uh, listening to us chat about gin Uh, if you did say you liked it in all the relevant places please leave nice comments tell all your friends subscribe follow us on social media and all the thinking drinkers handles uh, and join us next week to hear more about that beer cheers cheers